Hey guys, hope all is well. Um, in today's podcast, I'm going to uh, let you listen in on a conversation that I had with Keith Cunningham. Keith Cunningham is known for many things, um, for his four-day MBA, his new book, The Road Less Stupid, but also he's also known for being um, the inspiration for the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad from Robert Kiyosaki and um, the lessons that Robert Kiyosaki shares in his book about his rich dad uh, are based on uh, the teachings from Keith Cunningham. And Keith, again, is one of my favorite business teachers, um, an amazing mentor and an amazing entrepreneur and a really a great human being. So uh, this conversation was amazing. Uh, it was a video. It's also on my YouTube channel. If you search for my name on YouTube, you'll uh, you'll find it. My name and Keith Cunningham, you'll find the video so you can actually see it. Or if you want to listen to this podcast, just go ahead and enjoy. So let me know what you think of it and enjoy this podcast, this interview with Keith Cunningham. Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, I'm here with the one and the only Keith Cunningham. Uh, Keith, um, in my opinion, is one of the best teachers, maybe the best teacher when it comes to uh, business and business mastery. Uh, Keith has over 45 years of business experience and investing experience. And I've been a student uh, of Keith for many, many years. Um, for example, I read his book, Keys to the Vault, which is an amazing book. I went to his four-day MBA in, uh, in Texas, which was one of the, be the best courses that I ever went to. Um, did a lot of home study work with his uh, home study uh, material. Um, man, this new book, The Road Less Stupid, which is, I think, the best business book ever written. It's so good. It's so much value. I really feel that this book alone, if you really study it well and practice uh, all the thinking time principles and everything in it, it's worth more than any online course you can buy for multiple thousands of euros. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super honored that uh, Keith uh, takes the time to be here with us. So uh, thanks a lot, uh, Keith. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me and thank you for all your kind words. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. So let's just uh, dive in. Um, I've been a student for uh, for many years, and one of the secret weapons that I've learned from you is the power of thinking time, um, just to sit down with myself and think about certain important topics is, uh, is super helpful for me. Uh, in your new book, The Road Less Stupid, um, it literally has a hundred, hundreds of questions that you can ask yourself uh, to actually uh, really become better in business and come up with the answers that are already within yourself, especially nowadays. Um, it's really tough to do critical thinking or go deep with your thinking because we you know, were so surface leveled nowadays because of the social media and everything. Um, why has this been so powerful for you and how did you find out about this? Well, uh, it's powerful because in a nutshell, business is an intellectual sport. And my, um, and you know that's true because you can look back at various decisions maybe that you made or various results that you got that didn't turn out as well as what you originally hoped. Uh, and you can look uh, at those decisions or at those results and over and over again, the common denominator is faulty assumptions. So if I, here's the question I love to ask. If I could give you 
an opportunity to unwind any three financial decisions you've ever made in your whole life. So you could have a do-over and you could have three of them. I wish I could. If I gave, which would be good, right? Yeah. If I gave you the opportunity to unwind any three financial decisions, I promise you, you would have more money. And what cost us money is the, the, what I call the dumb tax. These are stupid mistakes that cost us money. And most of those stupid mistakes are a result of being irrationally exuberant, uh, way too optimistic, um, not checking for second order consequences. And so uh, when I say that business is an intellectual sport, what I'm really saying is that money and business contrary to popular opinion does not respond well to emotions. Mm -hmm. And when I look at my mistakes, if you look at your mistakes, what you'll find is a, a series of emotional, glandular, gut kind of decisions. And it's those decisions that wind up derailing our progress. Uh, to me, the, the goal is not to get rich. The goal is to get rich and stay that way. Yeah. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be successful for a month I, I, any more than I want to be healthy for a month or be in a great relationship for a month. What I'm looking for is long-term results. And the only way to get those long-term results is uh, to have skills and tools. Uh, I think the mistake that gets made uh, and the power of thinking time, uh, the power of using your brain is that it allows you uh, as a business owner or as a human being in, in every part of your life to examine the risk. So the reality to me is that successful entrepreneurs, successful business owners, people that are successful in their lives have done a great job of thinking through what are the second order consequences? What are the risks? What are the gotchas? Where, where are the places this could wind up being a bad idea? And so uh, a, a, a tremendous amount of the work that, that I think is required in order to create business success is an intellectual work. Unfortunately, most of us have built, who are in business, have built a business that requires us to, to pick up the business end of the shovel. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, you know, there are times when I'm needed to go do something in the business. What I want that thing that I'm doing is to I want to avoid that thing being a reaction. Instead, I want the thing that I'm doing to be a plan. So the the difference to me between somebody who's successful and unsuccessful in business has a whole lot to do with how they do it, quantifying and minimizing, mitigating risk. And number two, uh, are you executing a plan or are you reacting to the problem du jour, yeah. which is the whack-a-mole 
uh, you know, that's the part that, that gets everybody tired is you wake up in the morning, you whack moles all day long, you put out fires and there's so many fires that most people don't even have a, have an opportunity to figure out who's lighting them. Yeah. And so yeah. as, as a result, we wind up at the end of the day, tired and worn out and discouraged and frustrated. And it's all because we haven't done the work that's required in order to put in the place, the structure and the leverage. And, and all of that is a result of using your brain and not your emotions. Yeah. Yeah. You, you asked the question, how did I learn this? Well, I had to learn it the hard way. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the bad part uh, is that, you know, I was, I, I, I thought the goal years ago was, okay, well, let's get rich. Let's become successful. And, and so I did, and I promptly lost a ton of money. And in fact, within 24, 36 months, I went from having a lot of money to having no money. I mean, none. I was broke. And, and that transition from a lot of money to no money is a result of, of not uh, using the skills and tools and not using my, my brain in order to help me make decisions. I was totally emotional. Uh, I, was, I was caught up in you know, hubris and I was arrogant and I ignored risk. And, and so I had to learn it the hard way. Look, the goal is not to get there. The goal is to get there and stay there. And that's yeah. true in every part of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I think it's your phrase that, um, most problems started off as a great idea. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the things that I talk about in my book. Yeah, the reality is I've yet to get up in the morning and say, today's the day I'm going to use my third best thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, every problem that I have, and I'm going to suggest to you and the people that are listening to this, that every problem you have is uh, a result of a good idea. And so what I want to do in order to create and sustain the success that I want what I want to do is make sure that if I execute on a good idea that I've thought about the second order consequences and the unexamined assumptions and the risk and the things that could go wrong. I have a tendency, and I think most people have this tendency, to substitute a story for the facts. And as a result, we wind up executing on a story or an idea instead of executing on the facts or a plan. And I think that we, we sabotage because we substitute uh, ideas for a plan. Hmm. And, and as, I, as you said, it is true. My problems that I have right now are a result of some good idea that I had three months ago, three years ago, 30 years ago, some good idea that I had that I executed on and I should have taken a pass, but yeah. I didn't do it because I didn't think about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, when it comes to thinking time, uh, what, what are your personal rituals when it comes to thinking time? Like, cause I mean, we can journal or we can put stuff in our phone or whatever, but how, do, what's your ritual when it comes to thinking time? Well, in my book, The Road Less Stupid, I actually spend a chapter talking about the mechanics, and that's really what you're asking about. 
I when when I get ready to do thinking time, the the key uh, is to come up with a really good question that I want to think about. The first couple times I tried thinking time, I sat down in the chair with my pencil and my my tablet, my journal, and I was all ready to think, and I took a nap. I didn't have anything to think about. Yeah. And and so I learned very quickly that the key to a great thinking time session is designing a great thinking time question. So I'm going to give you an example of a couple of questions so that your audience uh, knows what I'm talking about. A, a great thinking time question might be, how would I run my business if 100% of my future growth was by referral only? How, how big would my business be if I still had every customer who ever tried me? Uh, uh, what, what assumptions am I making about the problem that I have? And, and so when I sit down with, in thinking time and in The Road Less Stupid, there's over 700 different thinking time questions that I've developed over the course of the last 30 years of, of religiously doing thinking time. Thinking time to me is a 45-minute session where I turn off the alarms, I, I, I turn off my phone, my, my computer, I have a little kitchen timer that I sit bes set beside me, I, I close the door to my office, I have a thinking time chair, I have a thinking time tablet, I have a thinking time pen, and so it's highly ritualized, and, and I, I have one or two or three questions that I'm gonna sit quietly and the only thing I'm going to do during that 45 minutes is focus on that question and, and the job of thinking time is to create more choices now, some of those choices are going to be dumb some of them are just going to be truly bad ideas but it doesn't matter because the goal is not to create the right choice the, the, or the best choice, the goal is to create more choices. And then at the end of 45 minutes, cull through and get rid of the ones that are weaker or horrible and, and wind up with one or two really good ideas. And then those good ideas may require a future thinking time about risk or assumptions or my ability to execute or uh, resources or priorities that I need to establish in order to successfully implement this new idea. Yeah. So thinking time is very much designed to help me with one thing and one thing only. And this is, this is probably one of the biggest benefits to doing thinking time. And that is clarity. Hmm. It gives me clarity. It gives me uh, the ability to say, this is the direction. This is my best choice. These, these are the resources that I need or the priorities that I need to set or the, 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 the team that I need to add or build or the skills that we need to augment our ability to consistently execute. It's, it's how do I make sure that I'm not executing on an idea 
particularly a bad idea? How do I make sure that I'm executing on something that is gives me an opportunity to be sustainably successful? Yeah, this is great. And again, everybody who's listening or watching in the book, The Road Less Stupid, it has 700 thinking time questions. And what I said at the intro, that this book uh, could be more valuable compared to a lot of trainings or online courses, because this is actually a tool that you can use for years and years and years. And um, it's super powerful. So it's great. Um, something else is that what we oftentimes hear is um, we need to work on the business instead of in the business. And what you talk about in your book is uh, that it might be a better idea to make the transition from uh, being a business operator to being becoming a business owner. Uh, what do you mean by that? So I think that the words that we use are incredibly powerful. In fact, the words we use may be the most powerful force in our lives. And the reason is because, is because the label becomes the experience. Uh, if, if I have something happen to me and I go, holy moly, this is a, a catastrophe. As soon as I label it a catastrophe, my, my experience of it is going to be, it's, a, it's catastrophic. If the same thing happens to me and I say, well, this is going to be interesting, then my experience of it is going to be interesting. If the same thing happens to me and I say, well, this is going to be exciting, then my experience of it is going to be exciting. I think. Uh, there's a lot of relatively weak advice that's, that's out there in the business world. There's a, a lot of people who have written books and, and they've put labels on stuff. An example would be the concept of passive income which is an intergalactically stupid concept because it implies that you can get money by doing nothing or it implies that you can uh, create and sustain success by doing nothing or doing the least. And I don't know anybody who's got a gold medal at, at anything, whether it's in business or pole vaulting or, or ping pong, I don't know anybody that's got a gold medal that got there by doing the least. I, I, I see people uh, uh, doing the most, not the least. And so there's a concept out there that has gotten a lot of traction. Um, and the concept is a, a, this idea that uh, you should be working on your business and not in your business. Uh, so let, let's let's take a second and look at that. Uh, when's the last time somebody came up to you and asked you the question, "What business are you on?" It, it it didn't happen, and the reason it didn't happen is because it's a stupid idea. When somebody comes up to me and says, "What do you do?" I don't say, "Well, I'm." on the teaching business. I say, here's what I, here's what I'm in. This is what I do. I'm engaged in 
in doing this. And so the distinction to me is not whether we should be on versus in. The distinction is what do we wind up doing all day long or, or with, with our time, the majority of our time. And so instead of on versus in, I have a different label. Uh, and this label may or may not serve, but the label that I have is, I say, look, there, there's four hats that a business owner can wear. Uh, uh, somebody that, that is an entrepreneur, that owns a business. You can be an artist, you can be the operator, you can be the owner, or you can be the, the board or investor hat. Uh, all of those are hats, and it's wardrobe. You can take one off, and you can put another one on. And there's times, like when I wrote uh, The Road Less Stupid, I needed to be the artist. Uh, right now, with you, I'm the operator. Uh, I'm not creating anything new. That was done when I wrote the book. Um, uh, there's times where I need to be the owner. And so that's going to be about my plan and the structure and the people that I, we have on our team and, and hiring and retaining a players and, and leverage. All of that is about being a, an owner. And then there's times I need to put on a different hat and that hat is the investor or the board hat and that's the hat that says, wonder what could go wrong. Uh, uh, wonder where the risks are. How do I play defense? and not just offense. So, so there's nothing wrong with being the operator uh, as long as every once in a while I take that hat off and put on some of the other hats. The problem becomes where, where we, we, we only have one hat hmm. in our wardrobe. That's where the problem happens. And so you find people who, are, who have the artist hat. They are really, really good at creating. They love their product. Whatever their product is, they are passionate about their product, at which means that they're probably going to take really good pictures or have uh, really good art, whatever that is. They're going to write a really good book, but the book will never be a bestseller because they spend all their time writing a really good book and don't understand what the business end of the stick is that would enable them to, to turn it into a bestseller. Books don't become bestsellers because they're good books. No. I'm really clear on that. Uh, people don't make a lot of money simply because they've got a really good product. Mm -hmm. You and I can both think of some businesses that have truly, truly horrible products. Yeah but they've made a ton of money. Yep. McDonald's comes yep. to mind. Yep. McDonald's yep. has sold more, more food than any other restaurant in the history of mankind. And they have a truly lousy product that their, their French fries are fantastic, but their cheeseburgers are horrible. There's nobody thinks their cheeseburgers are good. But they sell billions and billions of them. And so the message is this. If you're listening right now, you're going to want to write this down. Success rarely has anything to do with what you do and almost always has everything.
everything to do with how you do it. Hmm. Success is not a result of what you do. It's how you do it. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, when I look at operator versus owner or in versus on, I think the mistake that gets made is that people think if they're on their business, you know, they, they don't have to really engage. They can kind of show up or not show up and the business will run itself and, and they can leave for months at a time. And when they get back, the business is better than when they left. All that utter nonsense. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. When, when you and I look at the 10 wealthiest people in the world, the 10 richest people in the world, with the exception of Bill Gates, who's decided he wants to figure out how to give away $100 billion. That's, he's made a transition. The other nine are still in their businesses. Yeah. They get a job. They wake up every day. They go to work. They take meetings. They get a business card. They they. They hire and fire and coach people. They, they, they sit in meetings. They, they make decisions. They're in their business. Yeah. Now, their job has changed. This is critical. Their job has changed. So Michael Dell is no longer assembling computers. Jeff Bezos is no longer, you know, running to the, to, into, the, into the warehouse to find a book to ship out. They, their job has changed, but they're still in their business. And I think we would be better served as, as uh, entrepreneurs, as business owners, if we forgot about the distinction of on versus in yeah. and instead ask the question, how do I add more value to my business? and to my customers yeah. and, and where are the points of leverage that I need to uh, take advantage of by adding people to my team or, or redesigning the who does what on my team, which would free me up to run the business end of the business. Hmm. The reality is, Running the business end of a business can be a full-time job, and not everybody has the the luxury of mass of size to be able to do that. But it doesn't mean you can't have a, another hat in your wardrobe yeah. that says owner on it, and then another hat that says investor, and another hat that says artist, and another hat that says operator. And so I just need to be thoughtful about is the real problem that I got this on versus in distinction that's out there, or is the real problem that I need to acquire some business skills and tools, which is the purpose, as you know, of the four-day MBA. The four-day MBA is designed to help give you the business skills and tools that will allow you to begin making the transition from operator to owner. Yep. I don't think that's on versus in. I think that's Make a transition from react to plan, from from emotions to intellect, from uh, optimism to 
identifying risk and second order consequences. So to me, this distinction of on versus in is not that useful. I don't think that's how, how Bill Gates got rich. I don't think Bill Gates read a book that said, oh, I need to be on my business. I don't think Michael Dell did. I don't think Jeff Bezos did. I don't think the Google boys did. I don't think Steve Jobs did. I don't think they read that book and said, oh, I need to be on my business. Instead, they said, I need to learn business skills and tools that will allow me to successfully run the business end of my business. Yeah, yeah, this is great. Um, okay, next question. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, so in your book, uh, you say a wise man once told you hell on earth would be, would be to meet the man you could have been. Why does this saying has, so, has such a profound impact and what does it mean to you? You know, this saying I heard uh, almost 30 years ago when I was, uh, after I had lost a ton of money and I was, <clears throat> I was uh, depressed and, and unhappy and, you know, probably suicidal. I mean, really, I, I, I was a mess. And, and this this saying, hell on earth, would be to meet the man or the woman you could have been, gives me the opportunity to think in terms of, of, of living intentionally. Um, it, it allows me to set expectations and be purposeful about my life. Um, It allows me to, to make sure that as I go about my daily life and my, my daily activities, that I'm moving towards an outcome. I'm moving towards something. I, you know, I'm in a, a very fortunate uh, kind of situation where I... I no longer need to work for more money. I, I don't need to be doing this interview with you. I don't need to be writing books. I don't need to be teaching or or anything like that. I've got all the money I can spend. And when you look at people that have all the money they can spend, and yet they still get up and do something. So Warren Buffett clearly has Bill Gates. They clearly got all the money they can spend. Jeff Bezos, for crying out loud, the guy's got $150 billion. Uh, got all the money he can spend, and yet he continues to get up and and continues to, to um, go to work. And to me, the reason that to do that is because we we understand that there's more to life than just this idea of amassing a lot of money. Now, as soon as I say that, I'm not going to minimize getting rich. I think getting rich is is a great idea if that's something you want. Uh, but it, it certainly gives you a lot more choices that, than what you have when you don't have. In fact, somebody told me one time, I think this is very true, if if you have enough money to solve a problem, you don't, you don't have, have a problem. Have a problem. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, uh, and 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 
I think Dan Sullivan, uh, who's a very wise man, uh, is the originator of that. And and it's true. You know, it, money gives me the ability to to maybe solve problems that that otherwise I wouldn't be able to solve. This idea of hell on earth would be to meet the man or the woman you could have been. It allows me to get up in the morning and 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 attempt to get better as opposed to sit back and say, okay, I, I've made it, I've achieved it, I, I've got what I want, and I can retire or or do nothing. And and certainly that's a choice that I have, but I choose not to exercise that choice because there's this idea of mastery and the man I could have been and and this idea of avoiding um looking back with regret. I, 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 I really don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and go, oh, <laughs> oh Keith, you missed it. Uh, I don't want to do that. And no. so it's kind, of the, it's kind of the Stephen Covey idea of begin with the end in mind. Uh, you know, what is it I'm trying to achieve and, and what is it that I need to do uh, today to help me move the needle? Yeah. Very powerful. Very powerful quote. Super powerful. What's most important for you right now? Like in your life right now? So that's a really, really good question. Um, I, I have made a distinction, uh, between success and fulfillment and success to me is getting what I want and fulfillment is giving what I got. Mm. Fulfillment for me happens from contribution. And so what's important to me at this point is maintaining the success. I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't necessarily need more, but for sure I don't want to go backwards. Uh, so maintaining the success that I have and and then adding to that this idea of fulfillment. Where's the opportunity for me to have an impact or to make a difference in one person's life? It doesn't have to be millions. Uh, as soon as I say I want to impact millions of people, now it's about me and not them. That's a narcissistic point of view. Uh, The, uh, Bill Gates was giving an interview uh, several years ago, and the reporter who was interviewing Bill Gates asked him the question, what do you want your legacy to be? And Bill Gates, who is known to be very abrupt, very direct, and sometimes profane, looked at this interviewer and, and said, that is the singularly stupidest question I've ever been asked. And of course, the interview was kind of taken back. And Bill Gates said, I'm not concerned about my legacy because the instant I become concerned about my legacy, then what I'm trying to do is about me. It's narcissistic. I, I'm doing what I'm doing in order 
to see if I can make a difference. Hmm. And if I do make a difference, uh, it'll be for other people to decide what my legacy, not me. I'm not in charge of my legacy. I'm in charge of doing what I know to do to try to make an impact. And other people will ultimately vote on whether or not that was or was not worth remembering. I think that's very insightful. I think what I'm about at this point is not, you know, I'm not about trying to do something where I'll be remembered or create a legacy. I'm more about, is there a way for me to use the last 45 years of business experience, business acumen, the the wisdom? Uh, you know, experience is is what wisdom is what you get when what you did failed. Hmm. That's where wisdom comes from. And I've got a, a few broken legs and bung knees and concussions that have happened over the course of the last 45 years. And, and I have the ability to distill those down into bite-sized chunks uh, that entrepreneurs and business owners can use to help them create success. So uh, I'm very much about being purposeful and intentional uh, uh, with my life and, and, and simultaneously being thoughtful about the choices that I'm making. Yeah. How much time do you spend teaching? Probably 35 to 40% of my time. 40, yeah. 40, 40%. Yeah. Uh, of my time is spent teaching. And then we, we own some businesses. Um, and so I'm a business owner. I think that's one of the things that di- differentiates me from other people who teach is I'm a practitioner of the arts. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I eat my own cooking. Uh, and so what I teach is what works, uh, not what I, what I, it's not a theory. This is the stuff that I've used. And we own a handful of businesses that are all relatively, relatively small. They're, you know, they're, uh, 10, five, 10, you know, $12 million of revenue. We own half a dozen of them. And, and what we, what I do, my role is to run the business into the business, not operate it. That's why I can spend so much time teaching and then I spend a couple hours a week running our businesses because I have really good operators. Uh, and then the balance of my time, I'm, um, you know, I'm, 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 I play golf and, and um, uh, Sandy and I, my wife and I do quite a bit of travel. And so I'm in a transition stage. You know, my foot's not on the gas, but on the other hand, I'm not tapping the brakes. I've got some good equilibrium, and I want to make sure I maintain it. That's great. And you're going to Amsterdam next week, right? That's right. I'm coming to Amsterdam next week. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, in fact, I leave tomorrow uh, for Amsterdam, and we'll teach a business mastery with uh, Tony Robbins, yeah. which we've been working closely with him. We're very fortunate. Uh, we've been working closely with him for, I think this is our 18th year. Mm, so it's been a long time. Yeah, it's great. I've uh, watched you speak at Business Mastery, I think four years ago, and there were uh, literally accountants in the room who told me that 
they learned more in your four hours than they did at their four years of studying accountancy. Yeah. And, um, and for me, it was fascinating. When I saw you teach, it was just fascinating to see somebody teach so well on a topic that is for a lot of people so boring, which is numbers and accountancy. And um, like, how did you learn to become such a great teacher? Well, I mean, it's the same way everybody learns how to do anything well, which is, I think it requires uh, a guide, a mentor, um, uh, you know, some people call them a coach, uh, but I think it, re it requires a commitment to learning. Hmm. Um, I think, I think um, without a commitment to growth and learning, it's, it's very likely you will become stagnant. Um, so number one, it was a commitment uh, to learning. And number two, it was a commitment to practicing. Hmm. And so I've spent uh, 20 something years practicing. Um, yeah. If, if you want to, if you want to do what I do, there's three things you have to master. Uh, number one, you got to, you got to have some clarity around and mastery around the subject. Uh, number two, uh, you have to learn how to teach that subject, uh, which means that you learn, need to learn how to break it down into bite-sized chunks that are understandable for the audience. So if I tried to teach people uh, accounting and financial statements, and so as soon as I say accounting, people go, oh, God. Yeah. So I'm going I'm to reframe it and call it a business cockpit. Yeah. You know, as soon as I start trying to teach business cockpit, now all of a sudden everybody That's who's good. listening yeah. to this goes, oh, yeah, I need a cockpit. Yeah. But if I tell them they need accounting, they go, oh, no, 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 I don't want accounting. Uh, so, you know, I got, I got to master the – I got to have mastery of the, of the subject. I got to learn how to teach which is I got to learn how to take what I know and present it in a way that people can do something with it. And so, uh, uh, you know, instead of talking about debits and credits, we're going to talk about optics. Uh, I don't talk about debits and credits. That's what accountants talk about. I don't care about our, uh, debits and credits, but as a business owner, I want optics. So the second thing is I got to, I got to learn how to teach and then to be able to do what I do at Tony, I got to learn how to speak. Hmm. You know, there's a difference between being a really effective teacher and being a really effective speaker. Yeah. And so those are the three things that, that I've had to practice over the years. And fortunately I've had a, a number of opportunities to, to hone what I do and I'm still a student. Yep. You know, I'm still a student of business. I'm still a student of teaching and I'm still a student of, of speaking. And every time I see a great speaker, there's a lot of lousy speakers, but every time I see a great one, I go, all right, what are they doing? How are they doing that? Uh, a very good friend of ours is uh, a very famous um, singer. His name is Lionel Richie. Mm. Uh, and Lionel's a good friend of ours, and I've been backstage a number of times with him, and I've seen how Lionel controls the audience. You know, what he does, his timing, 
And and I've watched how he's done that, and I, I studied it, and he and I have talked about it. You know, Lionel, Lionel will be in front of an audience, and all of a sudden he'll start bouncing on his toes. And the audience, literally within two seconds, you see him start bouncing in rhythm. He has the – so how does he do that? How does he engage the room? So I'm a student of that kind of stuff, and – so when you ask the question, how did I learn to do it? I'm a student and I practice. Yeah. I'm very, very deliberate about my practice and yeah. how I'm going to do what I'm about to do. Yeah, that's great. I heard, uh, speaking of studying, I hear you talk uh, a lot about this book, The Most Important Thing. Oh, great book. What, what's your number one thing that you learned from this book? The book, The Most Important Thing, is written by a guy named Howard Marks. And Howard Marks runs a giant pool of money. He's an investor. He's a contemporary of Warren Buffett's and has made billions by doing it. I mean, he's one of these people who eats his own cooking. Uh, Warren Buffett has said Howard Marks is the only guy who, when Howard writes something and Warren receives it, Warren will stop what he's doing to read what Howard Marks is thinking about, which that's incredible. Probably th there's two really important concepts. Oh, there's a lot of important concepts in the book, The Most Important Thing. One is the less risk you perceive the more risk there is. Hmm. This, this idea is unbelievably important, particularly for business owners. Uh, because as business owners, we tend to not be thoughtful about the risks that we're taking. We tend to be way too optimistic. We tend to, shoot, most of the time, we don't even try to identify the stuff that could go wrong. And so the idea that the less risk you perceive, the more risk there is, here's how that translates into daily life. If, if you thought there was zero probability of you being in an automobile accident when you got in your car to drive to the grocery store, if you thought, so you're about to get in your car, make the five minute trip to the grocery store, and you think, there's zero likelihood that you'll have an accident, then on the way to the grocery store, you will text and drive. You won't use your seatbelt. And as a result of texting and driving and not using your seatbelt, your, your odds of dying in an automobile accident actually go up. Yeah. And so, so this idea that the less risk you perceive, the more risk there is, is incredibly important. The other thing that he's, I mean, he says lots of really good things, but the other thing that really resonated with me is he said that we would all be better off if we worried about survival in the event that things didn't turn out than trying to predict maximum returns in the event they do. Hmm. So his orientation is actually the orientation 
of all sustainably successful people. There are no exceptions. There are no exceptions to if you want sustainable success, then you have to build a world-class defense. Hmm. And most of us as business owners, as business, uh, as entrepreneurs, tend to think only in terms of offense. Mm. How do we grow? How do we get bigger? How do we have more, more, more? We're little greedy uh, butts about our businesses. We just want to keep getting bigger and bigger, and we never worry about what could go wrong. Mm. Uh, we, don't, we don't worry about uh, playing defense. And so having a world-class defense is actually critical to being – uh, sustainably successful. So if you don't have the most important thing in your library, you should get it and read it. It's a good one. Yeah, it's great. It's also one of the thinking time questions. I don't know if it's in the book, but the question, what don't I see is so powerful. And it's, it's you know, I think it's also mentioned in the book, uh, the most important thing, or at least in a way. So uh, it's great. So last question. Um, this It's been great so far. So thank you. Um, so the book, it counts 700 thinking time questions, uh, again, which you can work on for years and, and you'll still don't have enough time to actually go through all the questions, uh, unless you've got like 200 years to live. But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's really good. But what thinking time question did you ask yourself in the past that made the biggest profound impact on your business or in your life? So, uh, let me make two comments. Um, number one, the the goal is not to answer all seven hundred and four questions. Of course, that's not that's not what we're trying to achieve. Um, you know, I've got I've got some questions that that I've asked myself two hundred times, yeah. two hundred different thinking time questions. There's 200 thinking time sessions where I sat down with the exact same question. Uh, and the reason that's so powerful is because uh, the, what's, what's it, the environment is always changing. Hmm. And so a good answer today could be a lousy answer a year from now. Yeah. Or a bad answer five years ago could be a great answer today because the circumstances are different. Um, and I can give you a lot of examples of that, but the most powerful question I ask is the one that you just mentioned a minute ago, which is this question of what don't I see? Only the way I frame that question is by asking, what story am I telling mm -hmm that isn't true. Hmm. The way I ask that question is by asking, what assumptions am I making? And can I get clarity on those assumptions? Maybe the assumptions are accurate. Maybe they're inaccurate. Um, the way I ask, what don't I see? Um, because what none of us can see is the assumptions we're making or the story we're telling. And so, I, that, I mean, when I ask that question, that's really what I'm asking. What, 
What are the assumptions? What are the story I'm telling? Where am I being uh, irrationally exuberant? What do I know? Where am I being? So, yeah. That's it. That's that's exactly it. Uh, you know, and and what are the facts? And what's the upside? And what's the downside? And can I live with the downside? That's the, that question is by far the most powerful question because what sabotages my results, what sabotages your results, what sabotages everybody's results are faulty assumptions, unexamined assumptions, excessive optimism, uh, all offense, no defense, an inability or an unwillingness to identify the risk and what could go wrong. What don't I see is all about risk. It's what, 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 ca- what causes me to lose money, what causes my mistakes is risk that occurred that I didn't build a, a, a defense for or I didn't ever guess that could happen. And so if I'm willing to be thoughtful, which is the road less stupid, it's this idea of thinking time. If I'm willing to be thoughtful about my business, about my decisions, about the direction I'm going, I'll make fewer impulsive decisions and more uh, thoughtful, planned decisions that actually will help me improve the success and the performance of my business and my wealth. Yeah, this is so good. So... Thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Um, I would really recommend people to at least just buy the book, The Road Less Stupid. Um, I've been working on this thing for many times. It's so great. Uh, our friend Joe Polish, he has, I think he has hundreds of the books at his office to give away to all of his um, clients and students uh, because it's just, it's just so good. Uh, I would also advise anybody. Uh, I mean, I traveled from Amsterdam to go to Texas to learn from you. Uh, I went to the four-day MBA, which is a great course. How often do you do that course? I do it two times a year. Uh, and the next one is actually coming up September 19th through the 22nd. Yeah. So uh, that they, if, if anybody has an interest in that, we'd love to have you. And it's all about the transition from operator to owner. Yeah, and it's... I mean, I tell every entrepreneur when, when we talk about you, it's like you have to go to the course because it's just, it's, it's so powerful to learn from you in person. Uh, of course, you know, the book is great or going to a seminar is great or watching it on online or whatever, but really learning from you in person. And it's not like a, an event with 12,000 people or whatever. It's just pretty small, right? 100, 150 people. Yeah, it's so, so it's great. very, very small. Yeah. yeah. So, and then you have uh, how to uh, 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 buy and exit a business. How to buy or exit a business, which is all about uh, either either creating maximum value in your business that you currently have. So the thing I like to tell people about how to buy or exit, what we want to do is run our businesses like we could uh, – like we could own it forever, but we could sell it tomorrow. Yeah. If we can, if we can learn how to do that, we're going to create maximum value. And then some people want to acquire a business, and so it, this is the skills and tools and nuts and bolts about buying or exiting a business. And then I have one more course, 
And I teach uh, how to buy our eggs at one time a year, and it's coming up in October. And then I have one other course I teach one time a year, which is Plant or Get Slaughtered. Uh, and it's always at the end of the year. That'll be in November of this year. Yeah. But uh, uh, thank you for bringing that up. People can go to our website or shoot us an email. Uh, and we're more than happy to to uh, provide you with details and dates and costs on all these courses. Um, and, and the email is info at keys to the vault.com keys to the vault.com. And that's the website keys to the vault.com. And you go there and you know, what I'll tell people is that, uh, you know, all of our, all of our courses are priced at the upper range. Um, we're not attempting to be the cheapest, but, uh, you know, I tell people, hay is always more expensive before it's been through the horse. And so you're going to get the, you're going to get the hay before it's been through the horse. I think your courses are super cheap. Because <laughs> Thank and, you. and cheap Thank as in the value you get uh, at the four day training. I mean, all the nuts and bolts and ideas, but also the vibes and like the great insights and wisdom it's it's priceless so it's uh, i would recommend any entrepreneur who actually serious about growing and, and sustaining uh, a good and healthy business to just go and um yeah again it's 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 a couple of times a year small group uh, i know the event space well and this is like one of the best events you can actually go to so um anything else you want to add I'm very appreciative of you and the work you did to get ready for this interview. And mostly I'm appreciative of the opportunity that you're creating for your listeners who, if they're listening to this, are committed to getting better. Yeah. I, 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 one of my core beliefs is that if you want to do better, you got to get better. And so if you're listening to this interview, if you're reading these books, if you're attending courses, whether they're mine or Tony Robbins or anybody else's, that commitment to get better is the key to uh, doing better. And it's, the com it's that level of commitment that I think that's required for mastery. Yeah. So thank you for the opportunity to participate uh, with you and and your audience, um, I'm very appreciative. Thank you. Thanks so much. And enjoy Amsterdam, of course. Thank you very much. I look forward to it. Great. Thank you.